You're listening to the Brown Sign Project podcast. Do you spend hours creating your rotors and then spend days constantly adjusting them? We have the solution. At Staff Savvy, we specialise in shift schedules and timesheet solutions for visitor attractions. Easily manage multiple complex teams of permanent, casual, freelance and volunteer staff across different locations and disciplines. With fast communication features, automatic compliance tools, training management and simple timesheet tools, Staff Savvy has been used and trusted by organisations such as V&A Dundee, the Southbank Centre and the Royal Albert Hall, with great cost-saving benefits. Visit us at staffsavvy.com forward slash brown sign project to learn more and schedule a demo of our magic rotor button. Hello and welcome to series four of the Brown Sign Project, the podcast that talks to some of the most entertaining and influential voices in the tourism and attractions industry. I'm Carly Strawn. And I'm Carlton Gajdar. In our first episode of the season, we bring a force of nature that is George McLean. As you will hear, he is a perfect opener for the season of the Brown Sign Project. With enthusiasm for what he does in abundance, George is of course going to tell us his story about how he got into the industry, but he's also going to share some inspirational conversation on leadership, embracing dyslexia and his vision for the future and what technology might mean for tourism. A massive thanks needs to go out to our season sponsors, Staff Savvy and Retail Integration. And now it's time to speak to George. Welcome to the Brownstone Project. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I'm Carlton. I'm one of the hosts, and we have the lovely Carly. Hello, Carly. Hello. How are you? How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Nice and sunny in England, which is oh, always a bonus. Very nice. Very nice. It's very sunny in Dubai as well, but very windy. Not great to have sand in your face when we walk down the streets, but no, I would nice. I would take sand in my face for some slightly warmer weather in England every now and again. Mm, I, I don't know. I think you have to wear a mask to go outside, but uh, it's all good. But enough about us, you know. Um, we have got a great speaker coming on to our show today. Um, and his name is George. Hello, George. Hello, Carlton. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you doing today? Marvellous. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. Thank you very much for asking me to join your podcast. Oh, we're very, very excited to kind of learn from you and share for you to share your top tips and experiences with us today. So let's not delay. Carly, you have the first question. Go ahead. Yeah, I do. So um, first question really is, can can you tell us who, who you are and what you do? It's like a 70s game show. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So uh, I'm George. Hello, everyone. Uh, George McLean is the full name. Uh, George McLean. I work for um, Complete Works. I'm the director of training and development for Complete Works. So what we do is we do staffing and training and experiences at visitor attractions across the UK. So today we've got about 55 staff out in places like Stirling Castle, Edinburgh Zoo, all over Scotland for the National Trust of Scotland. We've also got staff at the Natural History Museum today, um, at the National Gallery. And most of those staff are, um, are all freelance actors. They're using their communication skills to generate funds for places through delighting people, using their skills and communication to make visitors happy and pivoting that pleasant experience into something financial, something like donations or memberships or upgrades from 
silver tickets to gold tickets or maybe even just a free a free visit to a ticketed experience so that's what we do in terms of staffing and training wise um we train people to um, improve the way they communicate and that can be through storytelling or through actually sales because sales is a phenomenal opportunity to create connections with people you want to sell stuff you make connections with people um so that's kind of a brief a brief outline of what we do and how we do it bit rambling but you're welcome no it's awesome i think yeah <laughs> we're, we're going to talk a lot about um what complete works does i think because i think it's really fascinating and i think it um, not to give too much away about what we're going to talk about um, during the podcast right at the beginning, but I think it definitely links to sort of your career as a as a you know as an individual, which is really interesting. Um, so, without further ado, where um, where did you start your career? Like how how did you get involved in the attractions industry at the beginning? I took a uh, a six month sabbatical from my previous career to um step into this world and that was nearly eight years ago um so my previous career the first 10 years of my uh, professional adult life was as an actor i was an actor for 10 years um and i was lucky i performed a lot i performed over 2000 times in 32 countries around the world mostly in shakespeare I did an awful lot of Shakespeare. Wow, uh, that's a... Hang on a minute. We just have to stop there for a second. That's incredible. Give me those figures again. How many? Yeah, over 2,000 times in 32 countries around the world. Jeez, wow. wow. It's a lot. That's amazing. Um, uh, the first, a lot of those performances came in the first three years of my professional career because I just said yes to everything. There's two type of actors that leave drama school. There's the actor that um, says yes to everything or there's the actor that is far more selective in what they do. And I was not selective. I would do anything um, to perform. And so I performed in school halls all over the UK. I did I did like years of 10 show weeks and a 10 show week is a tough, a tough thing to do. Um, and that's how I racked up such massive numbers. And then in time, I progressed from doing what's known as, um, you know, school shows, basically uh, theater and education, TIE, it's known as TIE. I progressed from doing that into doing low, uh, well, not low, low levels, the wrong kind of terminology, but um, you know, Shakespeare shows that aren't the Royal Shakespeare Company, basically regional Shakespeare shows. And then from that, that became tours around the world doing Shakespeare and other classics like Dickens. I did like a nine month tour of being Charles Dickens, but uh, of being David Copperfield in a Charles Dickens play, which was great fun. And all of this was wonderful. But I tell you what it was. It was bad for relationships. <laughs> and I met a girl. <laughs> I wanted, yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to see if we could make it work. That girl is now my wife. I'm incredibly lucky to say Debs is my wife. We've got two wonderful kids. And I took a sabbatical from acting, which took me around the world and lots of crazy things, and stepped into a job um, with what a company that was called Boo Consultancy. And Boo is now Complete Works. We rebranded several years ago. And I've never looked back. And, yeah, that's that's kind of my backstory a little bit. Does that wow. uh, Does that begin to answer the question <laughs> yeah I mean what a what a what a journey you've been on and I have to say I um you know we 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 talk through the podcast about the different experiences of, of Carlton and I and I'm I, my degree is in performing arts as well and I don't think I've heard the phrase 
theatre and education for about 15 years and you just gave me real flashbacks of uh, performing plays in kind of gyms and school halls and it's great fun but it is uh, yeah dealing, dealing with lots of children and trying to act and trying to do that show you know three or four times a day it's uh it's here's the thing fun. like I, I hear you totally like and I performed in some amazing theatres, the Grand National Theatre of China in Beijing, in Tiananmen Square, um, four of the national theatres of Germany. And I, I ended up doing some wonderful theatres in the UK as well. But none of that, that was all for my ego. That felt great. And my mummy and daddy were dead proud and that felt good the truth is you get very little satisfaction in terms of creativity from that mo from those moments um performing for kids if you are bad they will chuck a rubber at you that is the fun zone that's where the fire forms and that's where you learn the skills that that got me onto those bigger stages but then on those bigger stages um there is less learning there's less fire in your belly and really the stuff that I teach now when we're delivering training comes from keeping kids entertained. It doesn't come from those very prestigious stages, which feel wonderful for one's ego. But ego is irrelevant. It's that they're, they're essentially they're not interesting places. School halls are interesting places. And if you can four or five hundred kids at 9 a.m., if you can get them excited about a play, then you've got skills that you can really use. Oh my gosh, you are you are bringing me back to summer camp, having like literally five hundred kids in the morning. I'm doing aerobics with them on stage, trying to get them all up and running. I totally get it. It, it is a skill that you need to develop. You can't. Yeah, you're not born with that. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I also um, I often say to people that there's no should be nobody in leadership who hasn't done one of two things. And you've either have got to run a section in a restaurant or worked in a busy bar. That's one. The other one is you've got to have inspired and looked after over 100 kids at the same time. If you're in leadership and you've not done either of those things, then you haven't tested yourself. Yeah, I agree. there's no no scarier audience, I think, than some, some primary school children, definitely. But 100 of them, definitely. Yeah, yeah they will get you. I, know, I remember definitely. once having to explain to a, a colleague that um, I I had a school group and I was taking around a historic house that I worked in, and that you know what if if no one has if and if you're listening and you've never done this job then then please go and find a place where you can go and do this because it is it really is um, stamina building if nothing else, <laughs> and um, but you know you've got like forty kids on a tour and they're like what's this what's that how's this who's that can you know like constant constant and. Um, they asked me a question and I, I sort of flippantly told them something about a team member that, you know, in hindsight, you know, maybe maybe I shouldn't have done. He was in character and I told them his real name, but I was just exhausted. It's like, I have to answer this question. And he went absolutely crazy at me. And I just said, like, you've never been there. It was like, it was like war stories. It's like, you know, you didn't live through it, man. I, I had 40 kids and it was crazy. So, yeah, definitely not an experience like it. Absolutely not. But I mean, it's I find it re really vital stuff. So, so important, especially in our sector. You know, you, most people that work in our sector can remember the moments that somebody inspired them or took them seriously at a museum or a gallery or a castle or some sort of visitor attraction. And um, what's incredible is that 
we have the opportunity to do that now for the next generation, you know, and so many kids get ignored for the variety of reasons in life, which are all nonsense and sad. But if you can be the person that doesn't ignore and listens and inspires that lasts and that lasts far longer than, than we will get to see. It's all about, you know, planting the, planting the seeds that you don't get to see the trees grow from That's some kind of quote. I don't believe in, I don't believe in inspirational quotes, but there's something in that. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much for that. That was, that's brilliant. Um, that kind of leads me on to my, kind of my question. And it's all about school. So um, you went to school. Do you do, do you go to like um, university to study theatre? Or was it for like primary school, secondary school? Um, so just take, just take us through your like education. Like how did you get to what you do today during yes. school? I hated school with a passion. Um, and I went to, well, I think, seven schools in total, eight schools, something like that. If you include homeschooling for one period, it was eight schools. Um, so that's an awful lot. Um, I'm very dyslexic and uh, and also mildly ADHD. Um, but these, in my opinion, are superpowers because they, it, it, I have creative skills and problem-solving skills that I have learned in adulthood are uncommon. Um, and yeah, at school, I, I struggled. I, well, it was interesting because some things I didn't struggle at. Uh, I was very good at arts, very good at drama. I was very good at sports, played rugby to a good level, good at football. Um, so I was good at all the stuff that made the school look good other than getting grades in English and maths. So, yeah. And, and in terms of, I mentioned a moment ago that I did a lot of Shakespeare I didn't understand Shakespeare until I went to drama school. And yes, I went to drama school in London, um, the Academy of Live and Recorded Arts. So it was a top drama school. It was a good one. I was pleased to get into it. Um, I got a scholarship, which was nice. Um, but I mean, school for me was a, it was a weird place where I was either always doing really, really well, captain of the rugby team, captain of the football team, leading the school play, failing in all my classes. Um, but then somehow the school could still boast about me and having you know, special educational needs as well was just so painfully embarrassing when I was at school. Like they took me out of languages. I wasn't allowed to learn languages so I could go and have my, my special educational needs uh, classes. And um, I, I was a choir boy as well. So uh, I was a good singer. Uh, and yet I wasn't allowed to learn a musical instrument because they didn't want to add any more burdens to my my load because I was struggling so hard to spell. I think it's better now, but I think that, I mean, school is a, is a mixed bag for so many people. And where I am now doesn't reflect my educational experience. And if there's anyone out there listening who, who feels the same thing, my advice to you is just follow what makes you happy. Just do what makes you happy and do as much as you possibly can. And within the tourism industry, there are so many jobs that can make you happy. And if you just rigorously go after that joy, you can have a sensational career, which has no reflection on your education. And if you're sat there and you're loving school, rock on. Well done. Brilliant. That's fantastic. And, you know, you, you are also welcome to this fantastic industry of tourism the reason i love tourism is it is our job to be more than the everyday to be elevated from the everyday people turn to tourism to break up the monotony of life 
And so it is our job to deliver the exceptional. And so that is open to everybody. Yeah, I love that. Uh, when we were actually talking just just before we we started recording about how different you can find sort of formal education versus something you know that you might find in your career, and I think you you kind of summed it up earlier. Actually, you said about you know I, I just said yes to things. I went and I sort of enthusiastically joined in with stuff until I found stuff that I really like doing. And I think that's a that's a massive um, bonus for for people who maybe haven't quite found what they're they're very good at yet. You know, um, you just made me have a thought. Like I didn't realize. Uh, I'm always being told I'm. I'm good at management which always surprises me because i've got a real problem with authority <laughs> um but what i think the key thing that i learned it, it was running a bar in terms of leadership and it's this is that the the only person being paid well enough to go clean up sick in the toilet in a pub is the manager so i had a manager who inspired me by cleaning up vomit um and then i wanted to be the person who cleaned up vomit because it showed that manager that I took his job seriously. And my advice to people is don't look at jobs and think that that's beneath me, above me, not me, not my, I really don't like the not my job. Uh, it's not my job. Um, like attitude, um, take responsibility for everything you possibly can be the person that cleans up the sick, but be the person that does it, to, to lift those around them because nobody wants to do it. So if you're the person who do does it, you, you make everyone else happy. Um, and that's a metaphor. I'm not talking about actual, you know, it, it doesn't have to be that exact example, but be the person who does the job that nobody wants to do and do it to the best of your abilities. That is how you'll stand out. And you'll also find that certain things are really fun. Like solving problems is really fun. And blame culture is dull, but solutions are exciting. Yeah, I liked. Um, I, I definitely agree with the the thing of. I'm. I've had the same thing of like you're a really good manager. You know, people really like being managed by you. I absolutely detest authority. Yeah, <laughs> detest authoritarian sort of <laughs> any sort of like formal restrictions on you can do this, you can't do that. This is what your job is. And I think there's definitely um, some something in that. I agree. <laughs> Limits are painfully dull. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as well, being a manager, you you need to lead by example. You know, it's really, really important that you do so, you know, to build that trust and that relationship with your team. They can physically see you've done it. Introducing Meridian Experience from Retail Integration, the leading multi-channel ticketing, retail and membership system for visitor attractions. Working with visitor attractions for over 25 years, Retail Integration have developed the ultimate solution that enables some of Ireland's leading visitor attractions manage every aspect of their business, from ticketing and admissions to merchandising, food and loyalty programs in one single system. Customer experience is at the heart of what we do. Contact us today and let retail integration help you to exceed visitor expectations. We listen, we develop, we deliver. One of the things actually that Carl and I were, were discussing when we, we talk about kind of getting into the industry and it'll sort of round into my next question, I guess, is that what we are very good at in this industry is having a lot of very entry-level roles that don't actually require a lot of 
what I'd call kind of formal skill set. So there's not many roles in sort of entry level that require GCSE maths or, you know, a, a unique ability to spell very well, you know, that we are a bit more, I'd like to think at least we're a little bit more open to people coming in um, at entry level roles who maybe didn't do so great at school or maybe did find certain parts of that um, difficult. And I always come back to, I think that there's a there's a statistic and I, I, if I find the article, I'll add it to the to the notes, but that actually the reading comprehension in England is about a 12 year old as, a, as an average. It's, it's, at, it's much lower than people generally think it is. And so, you know, we need to accommodate people who don't maybe have really high level reading comprehension. So, you know, when we're asking them to submit CVs or we're asking them to maybe fill in online applications, we need to be making those appropriate for the people that would be applying for those entry level jobs and, and not putting barriers up. Um, and I guess that sort of brings me into my next question, which is, do you think with your ADHD, dyslexia um, experiences, have you found barriers in the industry or did that once you sort of found what you were good at, did you did you sort of start to find that a little bit easier? Um, I think there's a there's a couple of things to mention here. Um, one is every actor has got like a rhino thick hide, very, very thick skinned because the rejection is relentless. And that's, that's kind of a problem within the creative industry, but I massively, uh, digress. The best actors are very vulnerable and yet the industry requires them to be very tough. And, and that doesn't, that's a square peg in a round hole, but as, as a kind of, the byproduct of being an actor, you do get very toughened to rejection. And the reason I bring that up is the constant correction of people, of strangers, correcting your spelling. I don't have, I've not experienced barriers in the industry in terms of my, you know, dyslexia or ADHD. And I've got, you know, Bala, who is the founder of Complete Works, is a total legend. And we don't, we, it doesn't, it's not even a problem. It's not even mentioned. Um, Everything I put out gets proofread. Of course it does. But I write it because I'm really creative. Um, but there is a constant barrage of people correcting your spellings on the internet. Um, strangers thinks it's, think it's okay. Um, and what it is, is it's bloody rude. Um, it's unpleasant. It is a point system that they've invented in their head. And they are simply scoring points. And it does occasionally hurt. Um I would never show that pain because I'm a stupid consequence of, <laughs> of culture. But it does hurt when someone corrects your spelling and when someone misses the point you're making or deflects from the point you're making because of a clear spelling error. And you know, the purpose of this podcast is to help people who are thinking about this place as an industry and i you don't get that in this industry which is wonderful and i would say to those who feel the pain and the sting of their opinions being belittled because of the form in which they're being communicated don't worry that time is changing that time is changing it, people are you know intelligence is changing it used to be the case that if you were smart you could remember a lot of stuff that's not the case anymore because everybody knows everything all the time because not only do we have google we've got ai the world has become our oyster so hugely and um, also thank goodness because that is my that is not my core skill <laughs> the remembering of things 
not yeah. <laughs> no exactly and actually you know you can train your memory like i i genuinely don't know how to spell my middle name i genuinely don't and i know so my middle name is hugh who put a g in hugh i despise the person who put a g in hugh i don't know where it comes and i write it down three times and i have to circle the one i think it is and sometimes i get deb's my wife to tell me if i got it right um to just check that yet i can remember entire shakespeare plays uh and you know not drop a word ever so it's the memory is a funny old thing it can be trained but you've got to work it certain ways so like in terms of this industry and dyslexia the first thing is that you know you may be hurt from the barrage of corrections that has come your way uh, and this is a safe place where i personally have felt none of that attack and two is that if you are somebody who like me has specific learning needs this place this industry is, is desperate for you you know you have skills that we need i can use your skills almost undoubtedly like we need your skills um and whether those skills like mine are you're very creative you're like a you know, a human explosion or maybe you are just a hugely linear person who thinks in straight lines and can map things out in their mind we need you we need you badly um so not only are you safe here you're welcome that's yeah that's awesome that's in interesting actually i'm gonna add a question onto this and it's regarding letting people know that you are dyslexic would you recommend from your experience to let people know maybe when you're writing when you're writing your cv literally on your cv or when you have your job interview is it worth stating that at that stage or do you think it's going to be a hindrance I'd love to be able to give you a simple answer that was yes or no, but I can't because if I said to you, um, definitely put it on and then it did you damage, I'd feel guilty. So I would say that context is everything. If you were ever sending me a CV, give us, give us the full beans. I want to know the truth. Um, and I, I wear it as a, yeah, I wear it as a badge of honour that I'm dyslexic. And that's a new way of thinking for me. I, I hid it for years, especially in the acting world. No one ever knew I was dyslexic because maybe they wouldn't give me a big part because they feared I wouldn't learn the lines. Um, so only recently, and because of some bold steps by leaders in other industries, um, have I you know, started to wear it as a badge of honour. But I would lean towards honesty is always the best policy. And don't ever feel that you have to apologize where it is a badge of honor say that i'm proudly dyslexic and you will benefit from my creativity allow my dyslexia to benefit your company allow my autism to solve the problems that you didn't even realize you had i will make you bus proof because of my neurodivergence um so where it is a badge of honor so actually i'm gonna retract and say yeah stick it on always and if any company doesn't take you on because of that, you don't want to work for them. Yeah, I think big, big believer in if anything about you offends somebody during the the um, recruitment process, then that's a huge red flag in and of itself. Like if you're being yourself and you don't get the job because of that, then you would never have flourished in that role anyway. And I think that's a, a really just a just a general life rule. Um, I've made yeah. some mistakes in that area. I'm sure many of us have of taking jobs that we should have red flagged from the beginning and uh, maybe didn't because we we felt it was the right thing for us. 
countless count countless jobs that I, I i should have listened to my instincts on instead of just burying my head and charging um i like red flag i i i'm glad this came up because you should always be unapologetically yourself stick a professional hat on like and don't offend anyone um you know being politically correct is a beautiful thing because the less people that we offend that's good not bad <laughs> but like be unapologetically yourself uh don't try and pretend to be anyone else because as soon as you do that you're not as powerful as a force as you are when you're just being you and the knobbly bits the bit that you think is embarrassing is probably your best bit like we we love it when somebody is just being themselves and that's great like people it's people who sing in our office all the time like you won't get me sat down for very long uh, drawing constantly and it's not I'm, I'm not drawing because you're boring me I'm drawing because my mind is really busy it helps me focus be unapologetically yourself uh, and that's how you'll benefit a company and that's how you'll lead on to fun things in your career that's brilliant oh my gosh I, when you're talking I was just remembering time when I was working at Mantisaurs and just just me being myself and just entertain the people in the, in the queues who've been waiting like two and a half hours to get into the, the museum and there's me going hey welcome and they're like Ugh. but it's like you put that smile on their face on on your face and it's, it's very contagious so um yeah that memory came back while you was talking um but yes talking about memories and you've given us loads of top tips so far which is brilliant but we need more george if that's okay so um, are you able to kind of share three top tips of working within the tourist attractions industry? Ooh, okay, three top tips. Um, firstly, never interrupt the reason why somebody's arrived. So it, within tourism, you're going you're gonna to find people and those people are there for a reason. And that reason is often um, inspirational restoration. So there are people who are on holiday, so they're like restoring their energies or they're people who have like, come to a bad place and so they're hoping to get some happiness some inspiration from where they're they're at um and never interrupt that we whatever you're, whatever we're doing isn't as important as that whether we are upselling membership whether we're asking for a donation where we're trying to sell a kpi product in a shop whether we are you know directing people in a way what, what whatever operational thing is in front of us tickets health nothing is as important as giving the visitor that moment if you were if we were at a theme park and you see a family laughing don't get in the way <laughs> that's a family bonding and you know that that's really really important so tip number one is never get in the way of the reason that the visitor is there um tip number two is proactively assist that visitor um most of the time because of the nature of the places we work visitors don't know the lay of the land if you walk into the national gallery and you're not slightly intimidated it means that you've got a previous relationship with it you know if you walk into a castle and know the way you, you don't know the way they're designed to be confusing fortresses where at any moment a soldier could come and get you um like proactively help people proactively reach out to people people never mind um being looked after so number two is the number one is give people space to to, to love 
the place they're at and do what they're there to do. Number two is look after people proactively. And number three, and this is vital, is burnout is real. And this industry uh, gives you so much and you can just keep giving, 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 giving. But make sure you've got space for yourself. We work in incredible places. And often when you work somewhere that you find inspiring, it can take the gloss off it. So if I'm working at a major, major project somewhere, I make sure that I go and find, like at the National Gallery, for instance, I have a long history of working at the National Gallery. And it's slightly less at the moment, but pre-pandemic, I almost lived there. But when stress was getting to me, I would go and stare, not at the sunflowers, because that's always busy, but I'd go and look at the cartoon by Da Vinci, or I'd go and find some obscure painting and fall in love with it again. Um, I've just done a long project at the National Theatre training all their staff last year. Amazing project. What an opportunity. And I fell in love with brutalism. I just spent a long time looking at the angles, finding inspiration in these places. Um, so, like, use where we work to guard from burnout because the places we work are inspiring and don't ever lose that spark, I guess. So they're my three top tips, I think. Oh my gosh, burnout, it's a real thing. Um, I mean, I think we've all been through burnout in our careers at different stages. So thank you so much for raising that up. That's really cool. Um, Carly, have you got the next question for us? Yeah, so I was um, I was just thinking about the, the, the second tip that you said about like put proactively kind of caring for people because I think one of the things I really like about um, the way that, Complete Works kind of teaches and, and trains people is when I've worked in retail environments before, you sort of, you know, you're sort of enforced to ask certain questions or do certain things. So, you know, you all of us, I'm sure, have had that experience of being at a till point and being upsold something that's completely irrelevant to the transaction that you're doing. Or um, I used to I used to work at Monsoon Accessorize and, and you would there was a, a position for a door greeter. And so, you know, you would be like giving somebody a basket. But it was that should seem like a really nice job to do. But it always kind of came on the provision that you were actually there to stop people stealing. And that's how it was kind of sold to you. Whereas I feel like if you think about it more as a care position, as a as a position where you're helping rather than. I'm being a security guard or I'm doing it because I have to. I think that makes such a difference to the the experience of the guest. Um, and so, George, I just uh, wondering if you could talk to us a, a bit more about kind of what Complete Works does, because I think that's really interesting and be really useful for um, people to hear sort of what what that entails and what your um, actors are doing when they're on site. It would be really helpful. So the first thing before I tell you about what the actors are doing, I will tell you about the one rule we have um, that uh, complete works and we're responsible for some huge commercial successes that we're very, very proud of. And those commercial successes lead us to work at some of the most beautiful places in the UK. So, you know, check us out, look us up. I won't give us your CV now, our CV now, but you know, it's, we're, we're proud of the work we've done and we're doing a lot more of it because we're good at it. And this one simple rule guides us in almost everything we do. Um, improve the day of everybody you meet. 
It's that simple. If you want phenomenal commercial success, just improve everybody's day. And I'm not necessarily talking about visitors. I'm talking about your colleagues. I'm talking about the people on the bus on the way to work. I'm talking about every single person you meet, improve their day. Be a relentless source for positivity and good and watch what happens. Uh, I don't believe in loads of stuff. <laughs> uh, I, I don't believe in far more than I do believe, if that makes any sense at all. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. But I will say, can I just say, there's a reason I mute my mic when I'm off because I genuinely just cackled really loudly in my office and I'm really glad that none of you got to hear it, but <laughs> I really appreciate it. I, I would have liked the cackle. Um, but I, th this, isn't, this isn't some kind of light arty thing improve everybody's days the most commercial thing you can do make people happy um maya angelou says it far better than i ever could and if you don't know who maya angelou is uh, five minutes with wikipedia looking at maya angelou will improve your life she was a phenomenal force for brilliance uh, she said people will forget what you said people will forget what you did but people will never forget the way you made them feel. And this is everything because every single project you're ever a part of, the largest factor in, in the success of that project is the morale of the people delivering it. So if you make the people around you happy, your colleagues, the people that don't expect you to interact with them, visitors, if you make everybody happy, commerciality looks after itself. Now, with that in mind, I'll tell you a bit more about what our actors do. We welcome, we connect, and we ask. It's that simple. Welcome, connect, ask. We are at visitor attractions up and down the country. Um, and we are on the front foot of those attractions, welcoming people, making people feel good as they enter. People remember how they felt when they enter a place and people remember how they felt when they leave a place. There's just endless data backing that up. And if you make a good first impression, it's great. If you can make it. And the first impression, by the way, is never words. It's your body language. It's it's are you an open person? Are you a closed person? And. It's that being available for, for people that matters. It's if you are looking at a family and you see that they've got kids, get down to that kid's eye level. Let the kid know that they're going to have fun. And then the parents will be happy. If, the, if you've got people on a date, make them feel secure because they are not feeling secure. They're riddled with the anxieties that go on a first date. And you never know, that could be the, that could be the moment that they fall in love. Uh, yeah, if somebody's clearly upset, let them know you're there for them. If somebody has needs, which they don't, which for no fault of your own, those needs are not being met. If somebody's got access needs and they're not and they're not being met, go help them. Go help them. Connect with people. Find out why they're there. Tell them what there is to do there. Tell them your favorite thing in the shop. Tell them your favorite thing on the wall. Tell them your favorite item in the museum. Tell them your favorite view of the castle. Tell them your favorite bit so they can feel that you care it's really important they feel that you care how horrible is it when you go somewhere and you meet that computer says no attitude it's the dullest thing on earth and nowhere we work is dull dull doesn't cut it in tourism and there is no such thing as a dull person there are eight billion people on earth or seven billion people I'm not good with numbers a lot of people on earth 
every single one of them are a complex mix of their genetics, their background and their choices. There's no such thing as a boring person. So don't be bored by your job. If you're going to have to be there to earn money, enjoy it. Enjoy the people in front of you. Connect with them. Connect with the people in front of you. And then ask. Because when people are happy, they are malleable. You can get them to do stuff. You can get them to go and visit the exhibition that is an upsold ticket. You can ask them because we're a charity, please donate. You can say, do you know what? If you came back twice more this year, you'd save money with a membership. And what's wonderful is you'd save money, but you'd also support us. We need members to operate. So that's what my team does. They welcome, they connect and they ask. With the asking, it's really important you keep people on the path of least resistance. Don't ever give people a job. Tell them you can make it easy for them. But that's just a little hint. <laughs> I love it. It's And it's really cool because I think there's probably a lot of people like myself who did um, creative degrees and are these exuberant people who love a chat and, and know that they're natural salespeople but feel completely stifled by working in kind of high street retail where you are told, you know, here's your sales goal and this is how you do it and, and micromanaged and, and to find something that can allow you to be creative, still give you a sales role that, and, and something that you're naturally good at, I think is a real kind of opportunity for people. Yeah, there's never any pressure on my team. There's pressure on me. So when I started this job, I was six foot four. I'm now five foot six. <laughs> but uh, there's never pressure on the teams. Like all I want for them to do is make people happy and ask. And we smash our targets. Uh, and we do that by just taking pressure out of the way and letting people be themselves. It's really important. I highlight here that you may have picked up that I'm an extrovert. Um, However, I, I'm not always, I'm often very introverted. I believe that it's a scale and it changes every day, but some of the best communicators on earth, are those who would self-identify as introverted, shy people. When you hear me talk, you can hear my ego. And it's my job to get around that clear barrier and let you know that what I've got to say is worth dealing with my ego. When an introvert speaks, they have so much less of an e ego that the world listens. So if you are somebody who is you know, less comfortable speaking than I am, know that you're probably a better speaker than me because the world wants to know what you've got to say. Um, it, it's not, it, this work is not just for the extroverted. It, it's just for those who want to speak. Um, that's that's the thing. And um, so that's what you're doing today. And obviously it's very, very human centered, you know, human, it, people are at the, the core of, of what you do. But do you think your job will change in the future. You know, we you mentioned sort of chat um, and, and AI. And do you think that job will change in the future? Do you think it'll be harder, just different, easier? Yeah, yeah definitely. It's going to get, I mean, change is a guaranteed constant. Like it, it never, nothing ever stays the same. We, <laughs> change is a guarantee. Um, in, in terms of technology, I'm loving what's happening at the moment. We are, you know, this is as big as the industrial revolution. This is this is a new, the, the reborning of the internet. Is it slightly terrifying? Of course it is. But so is bungee jumping and jumping out of planes, and they're fun. Uh, it is slightly terrifying. But I, I also think it's brilliant. If you've not had a little play with chat, GDPT, yeah, um, then you should. It's so simple to use. I, I will use 
a light-hearted comment here, but please don't take it the wrong way. Uh, I think that ChatGD is um, it's like it's like Google on crack. It's like what the internet was meant to be, because it kind of you don't have to. Google requires you to work out a question and and a format and you then got to scroll through all sorts of stuff and hunt for what you were actually looking for and it can be horrible for a dyslexic as well because you've often spelt the wrong thing in the in the search engine and it's, it's very confusing but chat gdp or gd i don't know what the acronym is but the, that 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 thing is amazing you ask it anything so i was in a training workshop the other day and i got it to write i got everyone in the training workshop and this was on storytellers communication workshop with ASVA, the Association of Scottish Visitor Attractions. And if you're listening from Scotland, check them out. They are a remarkable organisation. They are big, big up to ASVA. They do big, great, great work with the tourism industry. Huge props to ASVA. Love them. Um, so in this training workshop, which was for ASVA and for multiple organisations across Scotland, um, I got people in the workshop just to give me random words like sausage, uh, skiing, uh, snowing and castles. And I got ChatGDP to write a poem based on those words. And it had to be funny. It had to be poignant. It had to have a sales pitch. It had to be leaning towards tourism. It had to be only three or four stanzas long and it had to be in rhyming couplets. And it did it instantly. It was brilliant. And it was, and the thing is, that you, to go back to your original question, why am I bringing up all of this? Because because what chat GDP can't do, what AI can never do, is connect. And so humans, ironically, as we liberate ourselves from challenging things, we also make ourselves more important because you can never you can never have a face-to-face -face meeting with a computer. You can never have a connection with a stranger that you can see in front of you that matters like you do with a visitor with a computer. A computer can't deliver a training course um, on communication or on sales and do it in a way that will inspire. Uh, a computer can't be human. And that is why I think AI is such a very, very, very good thing because it's a huge leveler of the playing field. Because it can code better than humans. Sorry, coders out there, but you're replaceable now. <laughs> uh, it, it it can, it can like create your marketing blurb. It can generate an image, but it can't connect with another human face to face. It doesn't have a face. Yeah. Um, I think and we, I, we were discussing um, this kind of what is technology good for? Like, where does it really excel with it with another guest and we were saying, you know, it, it's really great at, at crunching the data. So it can take a lot of data and make it understandable. But what it can't do is tell you how to deal with that data. So it can tell you that it's going to be sunny tomorrow and that you're likely to do X amount of visitors. But it can't really tell you how your staff should prepare for that. Or, you know, there's only so many things it can get past. And once you start getting into the human elements, I think is definitely where we you know we do great work humans do great work in that space why are they doing all the things that can be automated i think it, it yeah. would liberate a lot of us i agree and like looking at the human element it is it's so some places do it better than others like the lunchtime lull is real so at lunchtime 
you shouldn't you, you should put your your best commercial team on break at lunch you might think that this is a great time for you to do your work but that's nah, not the lunchtime lull people are grumpy for two reasons they're hangry because they haven't eaten yet or they're tired because they're digesting like i and that's a really human element so like Give people breaks at lunchtime. Don't make them have breaks at uncomfortable times, like at 11 o'clock or 4 o'clock. Put them on a break at lunchtime because actually it's the best time. <laughs> uh, like attractions that are on hillsides. Approach people at, when they're going down the hill, not when they're going up the hill. If they're going up the hill, they're questioning their choices. When they're going down the hill, their body's full of oxygen. They're happier people. So these like human element, really, really that's more important than you might think. What an amazing chat. Um, my gosh, I could listen to you for hours. Um, thank you, George, for all of that information. It, it's been fantastic. And I bet our listeners are just having an absolute great time with all this content. So, again, thank you so much. But before you go, um, where can we actually find you on the digital space? Yeah, so if I've offended you and you're a multinational company, I don't exist online. <laughs> I'm not, you won't find me anywhere. Uh, yeah, so like if I have said anything, sorry, didn't mean to offend you. Um, if I haven't offended you, woo, wonderful. Um, and you can find us, so Complete Works. Um, I don't know what our website is. No idea. Um, I'm the director of the company. I definitely should know. Uh, complete dash works.co.uk i think is our website we can uh, definitely I'm, we can definitely add it in the in the show notes it's fine yeah, well, well, some, somebody chuck it in please like that that's what i'm saying that's not a strength of mine i'm i'm very active on linkedin uh, so you can always reach out to me there um and yeah do reach out to us as a company we're really approachable we're a very busy very happy company across the uk um and you know more connections are better if i don't get back to you it's not a reflection of anything other than busyness but i will get back to you eventually that's brilliant thank you so much george it's been an absolute pleasure thank you i hope my ramblings were useful to somebody <laughs> they were definitely. definitely definitely thanks george take care thanks again to our series sponsors retail integration and staff savvy we just wouldn't be able to do it without them and the brown sign project was edited by paul tyler don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Brown Sign Pod, and you can find us on LinkedIn too.